Howdy, folks. This is Chris White, and you're listening to Basic Business Advice. I'm here with the returning panel of Jordan Mullet, Ken Hostetler, and Dan Olabi. Jordan's with the Ruby Group, Sandler Training, and the Berlin Escape Room. Ken is a partner at White Law Office, and Dan Olabi has Olabi Leadership and branches worldwide. Guys, welcome back to this. Today, we're talking about the topic of risk and risk management, risk analysis, risk mitigation and how you guys have engaged in risk in your own life, in your own journey. And uh, Jordan, you're kind of to the right of me. First thing off here, could you tell us a little bit about some risk that you've engaged in and how, how you engaged in it? Yeah, so I, I really like taking risks. It's one of my favorite things to do. But as much as I will dive into things, I do tend to sit and watch for a really long time. So there's things that I think about, I observe. Um, I can give you an example right now of something I'm considering, which is I have some clients and friends who are doing the cold bath, cold shower, uh, swim in cold rivers, and set cold therapy. And I'm intrigued. I'm uh, weighing the risk. And so I've done a little bit of research and I'm sitting and watching. And I know me, usually at some point, I'm going to take the plunge, you know, in quotes, and, and jump in and be able to go do it and see what's going to happen but I'm cautious. And I think that's the way that I've looked at risk over the years. If I'm switching a job or I'm starting a business or even venturing into a new area, I tend to sit and watch for a while. It might appear sometimes like I go first, but I'm usually, well, the amount of research I do before I jump into something is pretty crazy. So that's usually how I go first. I I support most of what I do with research. Dan, what about you? You've engaged in a number of areas of risk, and you could highlight one or another or just talk about it in general. But how do you approach the topic of risk? Yeah. So for me, I think I learned a long time ago that some of the most successful people in life, and you can base success in whatever way you want to base success, um, successful people have, have learned to take risks. I remember reading a book about John D. Rockefeller and uh, J.P. Morgan and some guys back at the turn of the century. And for all of their success, you know, financially or whatever, there were moments in their lives where they lives where they really just put all their chips in the center of the table. And they said, if this doesn't go well, then I am going to be penniless. And they did that over and over and over again. And the fortitude that it takes to take massive risks like that and then have it pay off on the other side is huge. And that's a differentiator between a lot of people who are willing to take the risks and people who aren't. But I, I, I go back to what Jordan said. Um, you know, research is super important for me. Um, I have to be able to see myself in the future in order to take a risk and leap to get there. And so that might mean sort of imagining what it's going to look like and knowing that I have the resources or the relationships to help me get there or catch me if I fall, right? If it doesn't work out or all the facts have to line up and I have to say, okay, the numbers look great. And it's going to take some, some work and sweat on my, on my part, but I think I can make this happen, right? If I can see myself there and I know that I've got a decent fallback plan, um, then I'm I'm willing to take the risk. Ken, what about you? You've had a number of couple career changes in the past decade and a half. You've had a couple of different moves that you've made, all of which have involved risk. How do you approach risk in your life? Yeah, so I'm probably by nature, I'm guessing I'm the most uh, risk adverse person on this uh, <laughs> in the podcast here. That just tends to be my my nature is uh, tend to be very slow with risk. At the same time, the first thing that I had to think about was uh, it was the end of 2007. 
and my business partner and I decided to start a business. And we jumped into the construction industry. And one of the things that uh, really hit me at the time was we needed cash uh, to start the business. And all of a sudden, we had to put mortgages on our own homes. We had to say, you know what? The place where I'm living is now collateral. And we couldn't have started the business without it. Uh, We didn't have the cash on hand. And that's when risk really started to feel very real of, wow, we're jumping into this. If this doesn't work, uh, there's a real chance that we're going to have to live somewhere else. That might be, you know, uh, at the end laws, you know, I'm guessing we weren't going to be homeless, uh, but it it brought risk to a whole different level for me. And it it really shaped uh, some of my views, some of my comfort level with that. And in some ways, I, I learned to better manage that. In other ways, it, it, that feeling never completely went away. So uh, when I'm looking at risk, certainly like Dan and Jordan have said, I, I want all the data. I want all of those things. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I learned that there's a lot more. Um, and people that went into business in, in uh, 2020 have experienced this. They, they might have sat down at the beginning of 2020 and said, we have this incredible business plan. This is what we're going to do. We're going to knock it out of the park. We're starting a restaurant. This is our lifelong dream. Guess what? Nobody, <laughs> at least none of the people that I talked to saw what 2020 was going to look like. And so I think that's, that's the other important aspect about risk is it's impossible to measure everything. But the external factors that come to play inside of a risk, I think, is inherently what makes it risky. You know, Ken, I love the transparency of what you're saying, because I think there are so many business owners that that first choice to open, that first choice to do that thing does involve tremendous personal risk. And, you know, as much as we say, don't put all your eggs in one basket, starting a business, you got one basket, you got only a couple of eggs, it's going to go in one place. And that's all you can do with it at that point in time is weather that risk uh, and try to try to embrace that. Um, and yet we were joking beforehand, folks, that, you know, I probably of all the podcasters here am the most risk tolerant and that I'm fairly immune to risk. Uh, but we still try to measure that. We still try to mitigate that. I want to step back in a minute before we talk about measurement or mitigating risk and how you guys do that to talk about something you were saying, Dan, and even to you, Ken, a little bit. When you start something, when you're first out the door and you're starting, whether that's a restaurant or a business, that person or persons who are leading the way forward, do they have to inherently be risk tolerant? Do they have to inherently be able to weather those risks? Or have you met somebody who you would not define as risk tolerant who is successful? And I have a picture that comes to my mind of two people, Steve Jobs and Tim Cook. Steve Jobs, massive risk taker, massively pushing the envelope and, and doing that. I don't know if you'd put Tim Cook in the exact same boat as you'd put Steve Jobs as somebody who's maintaining the vision once it's started. Do you guys know anybody that you would put in the boat of a Tim Cook who started a company? Or do all of them have a more Steve Jobs risk tolerance mentality? Where, what's your guys' position on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I do know people who are Tim Cook types that start a company. But what I found is that those people oftentimes already have a full-time job. 
Like they are, they have a foundation, they are working, and then they put in an extra six hours a day working their side hustle to make that into a real business before they can take a leap. So the leap isn't nearly as dramatic, right? But on the other side, I think the people that that have um, innovative ideas and real like grit, the kind of grit that gets you through like some really horrible situations, those are the people that tend to like put their house as collateral, you know, like there's some real, there's, there's some real, like, you know, something there that I think separates people. And then it makes you able to go through some really difficult situations because you know that you already have the fortitude to actually put it all on the line and successfully push through the envelope. Jordan, Ken, what do you think? When you put those position of the starters, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I can, I can tell you, I'm just thinking about a story from the Bible. There's a guy named Moses in there. And God called him to do something incredibly risky. He appeared before him and asked him to go to Pharaoh, the greatest ruler in the land at the time, and to go and ask him to, to let the children, the children of Israel, the Israelites, free and just basically give up his slave population, all of his work labor. And Moses, I mean, you want to talk about hedging his bets. Um, he gave all kinds of reasons and excuses. Uh, he needed reassurances. And I look at him as that type of leader that was not that bold and courageous, hey, oh, yeah, you tell me I can do it. I'm going to knock the mountain down. I'm going to do it. And yet there's a man that was faithful inside the calling that he had, and he was able to take that risk. I would probably view myself more like that, that even when I considered leaving my family business, even though it wasn't something I had really thought about a lot before, once I made the decision, I still spent the next three to four months trying to figure out exactly what it was that God was calling me to do, what I wanted to do with that time and where I was going to go. So I, I think there is possible that the Tim Cooks can start a business, can do something bold and venturesome. It's just going to look a lot different than the other one. Yeah, for me, I, I think you guys are, are bringing up the, the great paradox of, of risk. What's super interesting is that you often need uh, guys like you, Chris, when it's, you know, we just need to take a leap and we need to get started. And sometimes it ends up that you continue to just take risk, risk after risk after risk, and the company never stabilizes. So you've, you've brought people in that help you understand that risk and help you walk through that and help make sure that, that we're not taking unnecessary risks. On the other hand, sometimes when we bring in people that are not willing to tolerate any risk, or you have someone like Tim Cook, uh, and I don't think he's this way, but if you have no risk, you end up putting the company in a risky position. In other words, you're so sure that whatever success got you to that point, you're not willing to make any change, to take any risks, to move the company ahead, and you end up falling behind the the competition because of that. And so uh, I think it's really important to find that balance of trying to figure out how, how do we take risks, but how do we, how do we not take unnecessary risks? So wait a second here, Tim, you just said too low of a risk tolerance actually puts companies at risk. And you, so, and so wait, you're going to need to unpack that for me for a second here, because what you're saying, what, what do you mean by that? What do you mean too low of a risk tolerance puts you at risk? Sure. So let, let's take the example of uh, General Motors right now. General Motors came out and said, we're going to move to all electric cars by 2035. Okay. There's some huge risk in that. On the other hand, 
if they just say, you know what, we're never going to move to electric cars, that's too risky an area. That's something that we can't see. That's also a huge risk. And so I think oftentimes people make the assumption that if I only do what we've done before, I'm not taking any unnecessary risks. And they completely miss the fact that that in and of itself is a huge risk. So definitely, I can definitely agree. Like this is what's crazy. The number one rule in Sandler. So we have a bunch of rules that we do that were created by our founder, David Sandler is fail and fail fast. And I think what's so difficult is sometimes when we don't put something out there and we're risky, we can't learn. I tell my kids all the time, if you want to learn something, you're going to have to be willing to go fail. You got to be willing to go mess it up, screw it up in such a way that you're going to be able to figure it out. There's only really, in the end, one real way to learn it, and it's to go mess it up at first. So when you have a market share, let's take a GM, let's take a Apple, let's take somebody who has already has an established market share. Is can it your position that in order to maintain and even grow that share, that you have to continue with the same kind of risks you were willing to embrace when you started? I think it depends. So it depends on the industry. It depends on you know what type of risks you're taking. So I don't think we can just say a blanket statement. So uh, let's take the banking industry for example. Obviously, they they hate risks. They they don't like any type of risk. It's impossible to say it would be smart for them to take the same risk as what the founder took uh, at the beginning. Is my guess. On the other hand industries that are changing fast, industries that need to adapt quickly, probably need to take a lot more risks than what some of their the other industries would need to do. So I, I think it's just difficult to say every every company needs to approach this from the same position. Well, I, I, think, I think it's fair. I think there's something to be said say. about risk, though, because I think ultimately, I'm just going to talk over you and just keep on. <laughs> no, I think there's something to be said about risk, though, because I think the example you gave with General Motors is a good one, but not a good one. Here's a couple of reasons. One, because they are taking some risks, right? And they're, they're saying, hey, by this date, we're going to have all electric cars. That's fine. But on the other side, they're not actually taking a risk because Elon Musk and Tesla have already done that. There's a model and a blueprint. There's a path that's been forged. They're just saying, hey, we're just going to follow that guy's path. And we're going to do it bigger, faster, and better. And we assume that we have so much girth and momentum that we'll be able to overtake him in time. So I wouldn't say that's a risk at all. I think what happens is some large established organizations see startups doing something, they wait for them to actually go do it. And then once it's successful, they see a model and there's a path through the trees. They just ran themselves through that and call it risk. I wouldn't say that's risk at all. I would say that's just letting someone else take the risk and then just following them and then taking credit for changing the world. Yeah, go Norway. I think you're right. Like if you think about Every business, every person, there has to be some form of risk that you're taking, no matter what it is, or you're going to grow stagnant. And you give you gave the example of banking. Banking is a very regulated industry, and yet if you're not moving into mobile, if you're not doing a good job adjusting to the changes in our industry, especially even in 2020, where it got accelerated even more, and you're not investing in the right areas, taking risks, doing different things with uh, the technology, you're in trouble, right? And it doesn't mean you have to be risky on the types of loans that you take, but there has to be risk. You have to be taking risk. I think one thing that we're missing in this conversation, I mean, we're talking for sure about business owners and the risks they have to take, but I think oftentimes business owners um, 
don't necessarily think like business owners. They think like just average household consumers, you know, and just think sort of like, hey, look, I can live my life and I don't have to take massive risks. I've got my family, I've got my team, I've got my small business, I got my reliable group of customers and my reliable group of clients and vendors and that sort of thing. But to Kent's point earlier, like innovation is critical. And if it's not gonna catch, if it, if it's not gonna kill your business because you don't innovate in this generation, it's for sure gonna get you in the next generation. And sort of set yourself up to win and to continue growing, like you've got to take measured risks over time. That's like a prerequisite. And so you need to figure out how to do it and start doing it quickly or else you're going to be left behind. So measured risks over time. Ken, you started a business where you took a massive risk. You leveraged your personal house on a hope that this thing was going to work, on a business case this is going to work. In order for that to move forward, though, what if it hadn't? I want to talk about that for a moment. What if it hadn't? What if you hadn't been able to succeed at doing that? Because that's the flip side of risk. We're talking on the many of us right now going, yeah, we've risked and okay, we're doing okay. <laughs> we don't have 100%, you know, uh, batting average, but we're, we're betting, betting, betting batting better than 500 in most of the cases of our uh, the four, four of us on the screen. But Ken, walk me back, let's say it's 2010, and it just didn't recover, and you guys couldn't have. Where are you at then? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and the answer is I have no idea. You know, I, going into it, I had no backup plan. I, I wasn't talking about going to law school at that point. May have happened, uh, you know, and that probably wasn't great planning at the time. Uh, at the same time, you know, there was some extra motivation there. We've got to make this work. And so I think that if, if you're willing to, to jump in and say, I don't have a backup plan, there is some extra motivation there. And that's a whole topic in and of itself. But it, it's, at least, it's at least something that has to be in the back of your mind. Ken, I can't agree with you more. I think that's a great example. We have a uh, saying in Sandler that we burn the boats, right? And we use Cortez's example. He went over to conquer a new world. And when he got there, supposedly he burned the boats. He told his people, everybody else that has ever come here, they've always had a ray of escape and they've, they've failed in conquering this new world. He burned the boats, took away the option to be able to move backwards. And so many times in the risks that I've taken, the big ones, I burned the boats where I've said, okay, if I'm, if, if this fails, I'll go forward, I'll do something else, but I'm not going back to where I was before. So a couple of things that I do to help me is my inner circle with me. That's the question I'm asking, because if my inner circle is not with me, burning the boats means nothing. Is it the right time? Is, is this something that could wait? What's motivating me? What's pushing me to do this? And does it make sense? So burn your boats, figure out if your inner circle is with you, and then it, it's unbelievable what you can accomplish. Dan, you're shaking your head, man. You're shaking. That, yeah, I'm, I'm so mad right now. I'm so mad. Okay, listeners, go back like four podcasts ago. We were talking about what it took to start a business. And the word of the day was plan. Like plan, plan, plan. And I was like, no. If you don't have passion, if you don't burn the boats, you're not going to make it happen. And forward like a month and a half, and these guys are talking about burn the boats, man. Whatever. What? <laughs> Dan, Dan, Dan you, you're just the power of your persuasion. You know, was <laughs> so much. No, no, no. George, George's point, I think, is a good one. Where there is, there's elements of bringing your inner circle together and actually walking through a plan. But really, a major motivating factor that that extra tactical reserve, that extra last ten percent, 
really comes from having zero backup plan. I mean, you put that extra hour in, you put that extra day in, and you outbeat your competition because they have something to fall back on and you don't. That happens over and over and over again. So I think that is a competitive advantage. That's the difference between, honestly, that's the difference between owners and employees, right? That's why you're more passionate about your business than your employees are because you have skin in the game and they don't. You can't expect them to be as passionate as you are because they're not going to lose their house if everything goes down. You know, there's a difference there. And that, that to the point of this, and guys, this is a great conversation. I think we should revisit this again and maybe in a month, hit Dan to see if they flip their script back to the other way. <laughs> but there is something that Ken has probably heard me say more times than he would care to admit over the past eight years of us working together. A simple motto and maxim, decisions are made, problems are solved. And if you make a decision, you make that decision to do this thing. And like Ken, you were all in in your scenario. And we've been all in in our own scenarios over time where we've thrown everything in, burned the boats, you know, whatever it's taken. We have committed to, once we've made that decision, solve every problem. And it's amazing what happens when you don't have any choice but to solve the problems. And risk, I think, is terrifying for people because it's the point of decision. At that point, when you say, yes, I'm going to do this. You're now in, and you got to solve all of these problems. Guys, this is a great conversation. And listeners, as you're listening, we hope this was energizing to you. And if you have questions about risk or risk management or mitigating or whether or not you need to burn your boats, like Jordan said, and just pursue, pursue this adventure, contact any of our speakers, contact any of us. Happy to talk our way through this with you and help you measure and uh, cheer you on as you take those risks uh, in your endeavor. We ask uh, from whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, please like this podcast, subscribe to us, and share it out on whatever social media platform. So for Jordan Mollett, Ken Hostetler, and Dan Olabi, this is Chris White, and thanks for listening.